0: Welcome to Project Alchemy, the podcast. I'm Kobe Sheehan, a high school senior in Austin, Texas. I believe a meaningful life is something that we all seek to find. To discover what this looks like, I've interviewed inspiring adults in my community, asking them to tell their story of what happened in between, meaning their transition from adolescence to adulthood. Each will reflect on the lessons they've learned, both from triumphs and failures, and ultimately attempt to share what they believe is a life well lived. Enjoy the show. This is episode one of Project Alchemy, and I'm super excited for today's guest to start things off. Thomas Daniel is the senior pastor at Covenant Presbyterian, a church in Austin. He graduated from Davidson College and is originally from Atlanta, but has been living in Austin for the past five years. Thomas, thanks for doing this, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So, to start, Thomas, could you give us an idea of what your life looked like as a young adult, around 20, let's say?
1: Yeah, uh, to be totally honest, uh, my life my life completely disintegrated uh, right after graduating from high school. Um, my my dad walked in about a month after I graduated from high school, and announced he'd been having an affair with my mom's best friend after 24 years of marriage. So the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, like my whole world turned upside down, um, and my parents separated, um, and so. It was it was a it was a actually a particularly painful time. I that's probably the best note to start a conversation on, but it was wow. it was one of the more painful moments of my life because when when someone it's a weird thing when you're 18 years old and then someone walks in and says the things you thought were normal weren't normal, right? Like the things you thought your life or you know, my family or how this this how you navigate the world and what seems normal or what makes sense someone comes in and it's like yeah that's all over and you know my dad said for a few years he had known he wanted to to leave and so it's like what you thought was your home base wasn't real and that's how I was launching into college of what do you do with that how do you how do you start trying to put that back together
0: wow so you're already going into a pretty big change and then yeah you're hit yeah, with that
1: yeah and uh and 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 it kind of drove me with a lot of uh You know, as it does with anyone who goes through that. I mean, divorce is one of those things that um, it's become normal. Right. But it doesn't mean it's not life-altering and really painful, um, no matter how old you are. And so it becomes part of your narrative. It becomes part of your story that shapes you and defines you. And so, uh, like, even when I went to college, I became a political philosophy major um, but I think a lot of that was trying to figure out like this what is real, like what is, what is good, what is true. Um, uh, what can you, because I think I was kind of looking for how do you, what's a solid base uh, foundation to start building something on because what I thought was the foundation just evaporated. Um, and so, so yeah, so, so college, leaving high school and going to college was a really pivotal moment in my life, some of the ways you expect. Graduating, mm-hmm. you're leaving home, going out of state to go to college for me. Um, um, but then, some ways that were totally unpredictable, too. But that's life. I mean, most of the things that define the stories of our lives are not the things we plan on, they're the things that sort of come in sideways good things, bad things. Uh, um, meeting my wife was the same way. I didn't plan that. Um, she's been a part of some of the greatest gifts in my life, right? Um, so there's things that come in sideways or things that aren't planned for or aren't in your five-year plan that are both the, some of the most joyful things that give life so much meaning and they can also be so difficult, right? And they come in, so yeah. it's, it's life.
0: Yeah, I agree. If you're certain that something's going to happen, I don't think it can bring you that much joy.
1: No, you're exactly um, right.
0: But were you, was that your mindset at the time? Did you realize that after that, Huge shock happens. Um, did you think what you just said?
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, I think I think there was a, a kind of thrashing about for me, trying to figure out what was what was real, um, what was good, and it was it was a time of some wandering. I mean, I kind of did. Uh, college for me was was a roller coaster ride. I remember, I remember, you know, I I kind of joined a fraternity and and kind of took that track and and had some really good friends that I'm still friends with today that came out of that, but, you know, uh, didn't offer the fulfillment I was looking for. And then uh, I remember one semester I was like, well, I'm going to study really hard and see how well I can do. And I made a 4.0 my first semester of my sophomore year. And I remember getting the report card and going, well, this is all it is. This feels pretty empty. Um, and, and so it was sort of this... I dropped out of school for a little while. Um, thankfully, I wound up having enough AP credits from high school that I still graduated on time with my class. But I, I dropped out of school for a semester. Well, it was, it was a summer and a semester. It um, sort of turned my back on all of it. And um, so college, I mean, it, it was a, it was a phase in life looking back on that it's important for me to remember because, you know, as I said, life throws things, throws curveballs your way all the time. And I think you learn, and as a person of faith, what I believe is that you learn to look for um, the fingerprints of God in the middle of that, that sort of um, reestablish order, but also it's part of what we all need of, I mean, a rebirth, a, a redirection that happens in life. And um, sometimes the painful things are the things that are really um, the most defining things. They reshape you in, in new and in creative ways um we never go looking for them no one wants pain but pain is is ultimately and hard times are actually the things that most mold and shape the people we are and the lives we live and and the people we become so i try to hold on that today but man at the time no i was just i just and i think i knew at the time i just felt lost
0: yeah yeah it seems like when you're going through it you never are able to to realize that this is ultimately going to be beneficial right. or, or meant to happen right. um, and, and lead to growth, which I think we all need. Right, The right. Um, okay, so what about from there? Graduating from college, did you have an idea of what you were looking for
1: in no. life? No, my, my dad was thrilled when I, um, when I announced I was going to be a philosophy major because he, he said, well, that's, that's great. We're paying $40,000 a year for you to degree, get a degree that you can't do anything practical with. Um, he said, so you can, you can teach or you could teach um, are the two options in front of you. And, um, uh, and so when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I uh, went, and again, talking about this idea of these things that come in sideways that aren't part of your plan, um, I applied at the last minute for a teaching program in Japan run by the Japanese government called the JET program. Um, And I got accepted into it and uh, went and taught English for two years in a junior high school in rural Japan. I was the only Westerner in my village, but that's the place that um, a number of things changed in my life that were really important. Um, Faith became more real to me as as I kind of read more and studied more and had exposure. In an odd way, getting away from the machine of American Christianity uh, actually exposed me to the spiritual part of, of this faith. Uh, I met my wife over there, who's from Wales in Great Britain. I definitely didn't think when I went to Japan for two years that I would meet a Welsh woman and fall in love. And, um, and we've been married now 20 years, and uh, I didn't think that any kind of faith would, would become what happens. But that was kind of the two main changes of my two years there. So um, once again, the thing that, that you didn't plan for, and I just sort of fell into this teaching program, uh, wound up changing the course of your life again, but it wasn't wasn't what I anticipated. I went over there to 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 study more about philosophy and basically Buddhism, and to delay having to make any decisions of what I wanted to do with my life. But
0: wow! So you almost straight out of college? Yeah,
1: right? I left like a month after graduating from college. Wow! Um, got on a plane and flew to Tokyo.
0: And I'm assuming you didn't speak the language.
1: No, right? that was part of the adventure. Uh, and um, and it was it was kind of an interesting thing because the uh, what you're there to do is is as much as teach the students is to work with the teachers in the program because uh, Japan was just such an amazing place and such an amazing uh, country and culture but they had learned at least English very robotically and there in their terms of they knew all these grammar rules that you and I have never heard of they'd memorized them but conversational English was hard so as much as what you were do uh, you were to do when you're there. Was to work with like the English teachers in the English departments on conversational English. Um, so we would work on lesson plans together, and that was as important as the lesson because they would learn kind of how how you know in an, a native English speaker how you how you speak and the phrases you use. And uh, but it was hilarious because you know in my town, um, and I thought that was a great idea when they explained it to me. I'm like, that sounds awesome. That'll be great. But it never occurred to me like I don't know how to go buy groceries there or I don't know how to withdraw money from the bank. And so I became an expert at the game of charades because I would walk into the bank and literally have to mime can I have money from you from my account. And, you know, it was it was just a comedy bear. Getting a haircut was crazy because, you know, um, I couldn't explain to them what I wanted and they had never seen – hair like mine in this village. I was the first Western in 100 years to live there. she <laughs> so um, you had to draw him out, a hair Oh, my hair gosh, style. yeah. There was this one lady. Uh, she, was a little, she was a rice farmer. So I was right on the coast of Japan. So it was farming and fishing. It was rice farming and, and fishing. Uh, it was a very kind of blue-collar, uh, wonderful, wonderful little community. And this one lady, the first day I was walking to school because I didn't have a car, uh, when I first arrived, uh, she, was, she had a hoe and was working in the rice fields and like stopped when she saw me because it was like seeing Godzilla or something like they just she'd never seen uh someone who was Caucasian before like never they were in her that life. foreign to them right yeah and so I was walking by and she just like stopped and she stared at me probably for like five minutes from when I came into her view until I exited she didn't do any work she just stared at me and I thought well you know she'll get used to me but two years later every time when I went to school it was the same thing for like a thousand days Or whatever it was, you know, for the two years or eight hundred days or so, she would just stare at me when I when I'd walk past because it was just it was a completely foreign experience. So it was a ton of fun. It was great. It was some of the funniest moments of my entire life of situations I got into that I didn't know what I was doing or what was going on, but that was great.
0: So when you first moved there, the first month or week, even um, it's just going into that foreign environment that. Without knowing, knowing pretty few people, I imagine, yeah. not being able to speak. Uh, that, that felt like what, as far as doubts and worries that you face?
1: Oh, man, I, I, um, I did something that I don't do very much. I started, the first day there was a loneliness that I didn't know was possible. I don't know, have you, have you ever been in a, a, a cave, for example? I, mean, I, I remember I, was a, I went camping one time when I was young, and you think you know what it's like to feel dark, Until you go into a cave and you turn your lights out to sleep and you can wave your hand two inches. It's pitch black. You can wave your hand two inches in front of your face and you can't see it. And you're like, oh, that's what darkness is. Like, I think at night it's been dark, but this is what darkness is. I thought I'd felt lonely before. The first day when I got dropped off in the village after orientation, that was what it was like, oh, this is what loneliness feels like. I thought I had felt lonely before, but. Uh, this is what isolation and loneliness feels like. And so I started keeping a journal, and I don't do that very much. And I did it for probably the first month I was there. And it's interesting to go back and read it of uh, just kind of openly going, What have I done? You know, it's one thing when you're sitting with your fraternity brothers uh, in Davidson, North Carolina, going, Yeah, I, you know, I think I'll see some pictures on a website and I think I'll go do this teaching program in Japan. And everything sounds great about it. It's different when you're sitting there in a village. No one else there really speaks English. You don't know the other teachers you've even heard live in the villages around you, and you don't have a car to get there anyway. There's a bus system, you can't read the signs, so you have no idea how you're going to connect with people. And to date me, this is the age before cell phones, so there was no like texting or anything. You're just you're just alone. Yeah,
0: isolated. And did that deter you at all? Did oh yeah, I thought about
1: you... yeah, I thought about leaving because. Um, because it's just like I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to do in this. But the good news, the good news is, um, um, there's an important part uh, of like just re- getting a baseline in life, where even after my parents split up when I was in college, there was this sort of like you were able to sort of keep yourself entertained. You know, it's like well, I can go to parties or I can talk to friends or I can study and make grades. The good news about Japan was is it let me kind of get to a point of going okay. Uh, It gave me more clarity on, like, I've, I've, my life's been rearranged in a number of different ways, and and I don't really know who I am or what I'm about. And I think that was the moment of uh, people in recovery programs talk about a moment of clarity. And it was a moment of clarity when you go back and read those journals of, like, I don't know who I am. I've been told because I kind of came from a family where it's like, you will go to college, it will be a successful college, you know, so how competitive can you get in? And you got to do well in the SATs, and you got to, Da, 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 da. And there was this assumed path of what success was that I had never really questioned before. And that was the first time where it's like, okay, what do I think is important? Because all of the people here have never heard of Davidson College and don't care that it's one of the top 10 liberal arts schools in the country. They don't. They don't know. They don't care. Even the other teachers, like my wife, who I met, she had never heard of those things. And so all of your metrics for success are kind of removed. And then you have to sit there and go, okay, so what what do I actually find meaningful? What do I actually think is important? And I think that's what a lot of people are doing who are look, like, for example, at like gap years or people that are that, – that we all have to find that in life is this idea of, of what is success? What is important? Um, what values matter to me? And what are the ones that I want to align my life pursuing? And I think the gift to Japan, the hardest part of Japan, but the gift of Japan was – there was that baseline that was cleared out where it's like all of the stuff that makes you, that you feel like either guilty if you're not doing well in it or gives you like this short-term high if you succeed in it. But then you just realize, oh, there's just more mountains for me to climb. I get to this peak and everyone celebrates it and I feel good for a minute. And then I look out and realize there's no promised land. It's just, it's just more mountain ranges to go climb. Um, Japan was this great setting of, but, but it was really hard.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. So so after that, it sounds like it, it ultimately changed your life for, oh, absolutely. for the better. Oh, absolutely. Um, but coming back from that, what did you – you moved back um, after how long?
1: I moved. I lived there for two years. Wow. I moved back, uh, married to a, a British woman at that point who she had never been to the States and never lived in the States. We first have had to figure out which continent we wanted to live in. Do we want to live in, <laughs> in Europe or did we want to live in the States? Um, but I had – had an experience over there through a um, a little Japanese house church that was run by two Norwegian missionaries. Um, and I, I I went there one day to see a, a baptism of an Irish woman who was a teacher on our program. So it was this crazy, crazy day where I hadn't been in a church in like 10 years. And again, I was just so dismayed and turned off by religious christianity it just i hadn't grown up in the church really but the things i'd seen in it were just kind of hateful and divisive and um i i'd never wanted to explore it so i hadn't been in a church in i don't know eight ten years but this irish woman invited me to go to see her baptism and she was a friend from the teaching program and so i went there and i think that was a really important part for me of starting to figure out, while I was also visiting some Buddhist shrines and some other things, again, just had a baseline where there was no expectations, and um, and it really clicked for me, um, kind of the 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 message of what I would call now the gospel, um, of of realizing uh, that, that this isn't about you know, and I know this isn't the purpose of our, but it everything you're going for, but it's, I but think it, it ties it's my, in well. It's my journey. It, it, you know, is in this place was realizing that I had been raised in a family and that I had gone to a really good school in terms of college, uh, all because of this expectation that what I do and what I accomplishment I accomplish provides value to my life. I'm valuable based on how well I do. And there's, in my opinion, an inherent hollowness that comes in that. And I think you see that in an American life. You see that in, uh, and as one commentator says, we live in a world where everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Um, because people have accomplished and they've done and they've invented and they have and they possess and they they own things and they have you know, vacations that previous generations could never have imagined and yet we're not happy. We're not satisfied. And to me, there was this, letting go of some of those preconceived notions. And in this little house church, again, that was predominantly Japanese, it was, it was outside of American Christianity, hearing the idea that there's an inherent worth that you and I have as people that doesn't come from what we do, but it's because God declares us loved and worthy. And no good that we do adds to that, and nothing shameful that we do can take away from the value that God says we have. And that that becomes the baseline, upon which we start building our lives. And there was something for me that clicked in that, that made a lot more sense than spiritual rules or moral rules. All of that was based on the same mindset of accomplish, 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 do, do, do. And I believe, and it still informs what I do today, found a freedom in that of going, oh no, my worth is ultimately found, my belovedness is ultimately found in much, Something much more important and more lasting than how good was the college I got into. Which in the end, is yeah. that is that success?
0: Right. And I think you realize that in Japan when, <laughs> yeah. when you you know, millions taken away, of people, they don't even know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. They don't, they, they, they don't care about the things that you've defined your existence on. And ultimately, and that's really painful, but as we talked about with growth, that's what... When it's the wrestling with that stuff that makes everything okay. There's a there's a great book that talks about uh, the danger of uh, it's called the five five dysfunctions of a team. Talking about in any organization, but any people, any community, that one of the most common dysfunctions today is is what we see as a lack of conflict. Because if you don't have conflict, either a struggle in yourself or a struggle with other people, the thing that happens is you don't grow. that's the basis of a classic liberal arts education. Yeah. You got to hear different viewpoints to grow. You got to be challenged in what you think. Um,
0: so were there were that? there still some challenges or or maybe expectations? You ultimately moved to Austin, became a pastor. Yeah. Um, was did you struggle with? I mean, there's someone said there's there's four jobs. I think uh, an immigrant family like had this would tell this to their children. Um, it's some quote that you know doctor lawyer engineer or loser right and so oh yeah was that uh did you still um struggle with maybe your family I,
1: I still do struggle with it at some level right like it, it's um yeah i mean i remember i remember um uh coming back and um, my grandmother asked me at what point would I get a real job because, wow. because being a pastor wasn't a real job. Um, I've had family members uh, who have said things like, uh, you could you could have accomplished so much with the things you could have done with your life because the church is just this irrelevant in my family, this just completely irrelevant institution um, uh, and seen in a pretty negative light. And, and, but it's also hard when you, but I don't think it's just my job. I think, I think we all have this. It's, it's, um, you know when you catch up with friends from high school or college and you hear what they're doing and there's this piece of you that thinks oh well that's really cool and sometimes it's the people who found the most countercultural things that the people who have who've done all the right steps you know all of a sudden start idolizing the person that bucked the system all the time so everybody feels this insecurity because when again when our worth comes on what we do then at some level everyone's a comp- part of the competition right so it robs you of true community but the other part is um, you're never certain if the things you're winning at are the right things to be winning at, right? Uh, businesses struggle with this. Churches struggle with this. It's like you can be busy, but you may not be busy with the right things. Um, and so I think there's like, you know, I I don't I think I think everybody struggles with this as you get older. And ultimately, it's the people who don't wrestle with it that struggle, and ultimately. I mean, and honestly, like my father, just kind of uh, deconstruct the most because they usually hit this point, a midlife crisis, a quarter-life crisis, where they're just like, I've been slaving away this. I've been really successful. I'm really miserable, and so I'm going to go find it somewhere else, right, whether it's in another relationship or in a different job or I'm going to move to a different city because that will magically change things, and it doesn't.
0: Um, yeah, I even thought about calling this podcast Preventing a Midlife Crisis. Yeah, because— and I think that's, so, so how do you wrestle with that? Because, I mean, I think you've made, you've made a, an enormous impact on me and I'm sure many others and, but, but there's, there has to be moments of doubt where yeah. like you said, and, and is, are other ways that you cope with that or reassure yourself.
1: You, I think, I think in life you have to go back to, um, um, how do I define success? There are people, there are people who say that there's no such thing as failure in life. That's, that's utterly not true. um, it's just not true um every person every family every organization you're either growing or you're dying we're we're organisms we're yep. living beings and if you don't have a sense of how you define success there's no such thing as is productive growth right um and so you're gonna you'll have as an individual we have this as a church all the time people' going well you you know you can't really we don't want to we don't want to uh, judge success too much. And I, I, I completely disagree with that. Um, if you know how you define success, then you can pursue something with your life. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a great definition of the word joy. Um, uh, there, C.S. Lewis, uh, author, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and others said that most people and most parents and most individuals, you ask them what they want, they want to be happy. He said, he said that's a terrible goal to have is to be happy because there are going to be times in your life you're not going to be happy because happiness is a result of circumstances. Uh, when, my, when my dad left or when uh, you go through things on a daily basis, I mean, the, the little ways, you have circumstances where days are hard and you're not happy. But Lewis says that what we can pursue is joy. And that joy, as he defines it, is the presence of purpose. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? Success is pursuing that purpose and understanding what metrics of success uh, you have. So it doesn't need to be he who has the most toys or she who has the most money is the most successful. There's worldly ways of defining success that I'm not certain are always the healthiest, but you do need to have a sense of what productivity looks like because, because purpose and joy, I believe, are, are linked together. And joy, you can have purpose in the midst of being unhappy. You can have joy while being unhappy um, because there's a sense of purpose to it. Um, and often those come
0: from failures, I think. They absolutely yeah. come from failures. And so I agree with you that, that failure is a thing and, and it's yes. everywhere and everyone fails. But have there been any failures that you look back and you wish that they actually hadn't happened?
1: Well, there's things, there's things that I wish it could have happened a different way. Okay. Does that make sense? But every failure that I look back on, there was, there was redemption and transformation that came from it that ultimately has been really good. So I, there's none of them that I would take away in terms of the effect, but I wish there had been a different way for the effect to happen. Right. 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 None of us sense? want to go through it. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't wish it on someone else. Like I, I, I've had people um, uh, my dad a couple of years ago was diagnosed with a terminal disease and he, he spent a year um, uh, while he was dying. and, and he passed away uh, about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. That, that was a hugely beautiful and transformative year for me and my two younger brothers journeying that with my father as he was dying uh, and going through hospice. I wish it hadn't required some of the things that came from it. I wish it hadn't required the painful thing we had to walk through. Um, and, and ultimately, it redeemed some things that you could all take as failures, that it happened. Um, I have failures all the time as a, in my job. Uh, I wish I didn't have to have them happen, but none of them have ever felt like there was, there was no point that didn't res- emerge from it. So that's how, that's how I think about it. Right,
0: And it's tricky because you can look back and say, yeah, I wish that hadn't happened. But at the same time, you don't really know what your life would look like had it not.
1: Absolutely. But the danger would be too, is if you didn't, if you didn't say it was a failure, right? Right. Like if we just said, there was like, oh, well, that's just, that's really success by another way. You're like, no, it was, it was a failure. And out of that, something beautiful may have emerged or changed in you or in me. Through it, so it wasn't that it was a failure and that was the end of the story, but it's also good to say um, that there's been moments where part of my failures um, are that I can be a really selfish person, and for those around me, that can cause them uh, pain. Um, It's not okay to look at some of those traits and go, "Well, that's not really failure." It's like, no, it is. Me, me with the people I'm close to being self-centered is not the best parts of me. Um, it's not the most life-giving things for the people around me. Um, And that's not how I'm, that's, when I judge success, I want to be someone who is a kind, generous, caring individual that serves others. Uh, And when I'm not that, I don't want someone looking at me going, well, it's not really failure. It's like, no, it is. And I want to grow from it. So that would be, there's nothing I would look back on saying that just felt like the failure was the end of the story. Something often really powerful emerges from it. But I'm not one of those people that looks back on some of the hard things and goes, yeah, I wouldn't change that. Because it's like, well, I, I wish I could change the circumstances that made it so hard. But no, I wouldn't change any of the beautiful things that came from it. I, I wouldn't want my life without it. I just wish <laughs> wish there was a different way of getting there. Right,
0: right. And but yeah, I haven't found one yet. And I think we all wish. Um, yeah. But but part of it is also coming to terms with it and accepting mm-hmm. that you're not going to change it. Um mm-hmm. That's and, exactly right, and moving on um, and but i think I think you gave a pretty good definition of success there, um, mm-hmm. at least for you so so it sounds like um, fulfillment, I think, is a good word of of what we're looking for, yeah, um, and can you look back and think of any moments or events that brought you fulfillment and and how you n- knew that
1: yeah i i think i think I think that at our core we are relational beings. And I think that often, again, in our default culture, the way we look for fulfillment or purpose, comes through the accomplishment of activities. And sometimes that's the case. I mean, I've certainly had um, things that you work for, um, even here at Covenant, that when you it, there's a accomplish it, there's a great sense of satisfaction uh, uh, that comes from that. But I think at its core, as, as I think about where I find fulfillment, fulfillment is, a, is often in a connectional word with people. Um, I find great moments of fulfillment when uh, we take the time to gather with just really good friends and hang out with no agenda. As I, get, as, as I go forward, I think that those moments where you just enjoy the presence and the relationship and connection with others, um, connection with God, spirituality. Um, you know, there's there's ways that uh, I pray and connect to God that I've had to learn because I my my prayer life doesn't look like what I thought a pastor's prayer life was supposed to look. I can't go in a room and be quiet and just pray for 20 minutes, but I found ways through walking and through kind of being active, that I really do connect. And those are moments of great fulfillment because of connection, not because of accomplishment. Um, there's moments when my wife and I go on a date and we kind of can turn everything else off in the busyness and just be together. And those are the moments that feel very fulfilling. But I think fulfillment comes more out of connection with God, connection with others. Um, and and more and more, that's the success you want. You know, The, the interesting thing is, uh, there's been some studies that have been done recently. Um, uh, I mean, there's, there's numerous of them, but that look at our world today and, and, and talk about different things happening at the same time around this idea of fulfillment. Uh, we, we, are, we are more urbanized than any point in human history. And there's not many times you can say that. Like, of any point in human history, we are more urbanized. There are more people living in cities. We're also lonelier than we've been as a people Uh, since studies have been taking place. So for generations back, we're seeing more people on a daily basis and yet we don't feel known. And our happiness and contentment and fulfillment is going down at the same time because because ultimately uh, being a human doer is not where fulfillment is found. Um, That's one of the great myths in our culture, right? I'll find fulfillment when I accomplish enough. Um, And one of the chief regrets in America when people come to die, is that they were too busy to pay attention to the relationships that were around them. And usually they realize it when it's too late to do anything about it. And there is a misery that goes in, a feeling unfulfilled at the end, no matter how much your resume shows. And that's what I believe fulfillment comes from. It's it's not big, huge moments of accomplishment. As nice as those are, and I've had those, but the, the beautiful moments of real fulfillment are in moments of quiet connection with your Creator, spiritually, with the people that you love that are around you, and the, and and that probably to me in my life, from when I think about where I was in high school to where I am today, has probably been the single biggest shift in my life. Is my assumption that life was about the doing and the accomplishment, and. Ultimately, coming to a place where what I believe fulfillment and joy are per, are primarily about is about connection and relationship and meaning, and that doesn't mean we don't do things or accomplish I work hard because I believe in what I do. But if it's done at the sacrifice of relationships, then I'm not succeeding.
0: Wow. Okay. It's it sounds like you have a pretty good grasp on or what brings you fulfillment at least. Um, but I think for those listening. Um, I mean, you taking long walks alone or going on a date with your wife, um, there's not exactly just a guidebook that you can hand someone. Mm. So do you have an idea of when you do those things and when you achieve fulfillment? What is that? That that feels like what to it you? It feels like
1: the presence of peace. Okay. So it feels like it, my, my default for most of my life, and, and again, I wrestle with this still today, is worth is found by what I've accomplished and what degrees hang on my wall. And when you say Davidson College on your podcast, there's a piece of me going, do these guys know that? And that means I'm a pretty smart person, right? Like, Yeah, at it's my, always there. Right, like o- over 20 years after graduating from college, I still have that, right? It's like, does Davidson give me the credibility for people that might listen to this? And that's silly, but it's it's so ingrained in us, it's there. And always then there's a sense of competition. There's a sense of well, Harvard and Davidson and all these kind of like, how does that compare and what does that mean and everything else, right? And, and what that does is it isolates us. Um, and so, and then there's always a sense then of discontent. Someone always has more. Someone always has accomplished more. Someone al- so there's never a sense of peace. Fulfillment to me is the presence of peace. And when you have those moments of, of actual peace, contentment, uh, fulfillment, it's a calm. It's not a big thing you go put on Instagram to, like tell people about. It. Anytime people are putting it on an Instagram, they don't feel it. It's when you have it and you don't need to tell anybody cuz it just is. And the moment you realize it it starts it's like water, it starts slipping between your fingers. But those are the beautiful moments.
0: Wow, that's well put.
1: Yeah, I have
0: definitely struggled with that as well. So, I mean, when people hear that I'm going to Harvard next year, the reactions differ. But, but oh, yeah. always there's a sense of that means something about me. Yes. And so it may it does mean a few. Like it may mean that I have good grades and test scores. But, mm-hmm. for example, when my girlfriend tells people that I'm going to Harvard, they say to her, wow, you better hold on to him. Right. Which I... I mean, they may have good intentions, but I don't think they realize how sad that is. Because exactly me right. going to Harvard doesn't make me a good person. It no. doesn't mean that I'm kind and caring. It and doesn't I, I, make you
1: valuable. The right. idea being there, you better hold on to him because he's accomplished something that gives him value. And that mindset, which is the default for our culture.
0: Right, and it's tough because everyone is thinking the same thing and we're reminded of
1: Everyone thinks it, right? And getting into Harvard is an unbelievable accomplishment that will open doors for you to explore all different kinds of things and it's something you should be proud of but but that that line it's a tricky line to see um and so it means like what what do you need in good friends right like you will need some people in your life we all need this everybody needs it you need some good friends in your life, and what you realize are good friends are not just people who tell you how great you are, but good friends are the people who can tell you when you're being a complete jerk, who can tell you when you're being selfish, who can tell you when it's like, yeah, you're believing some of your headlines. And, and they love you, and it's, 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 it's what the Scripture is talking about, speaking the truth in love. It's a loving thing. It's not a destructive thing, but it's people who love you enough to go, this is not the best version of you. Because what it becomes is, is look how value I, valuable I am, and we become incredibly self-centered. Again, if fulfillment is indeed, if we're relational beings, the more self-centered and full of ourselves we become, the less connection there is. It actually leads to more isolation. So you have so much, and you have voices telling you you're valuable, but you don't actually feel valuable. right? I'm not saying you. I'm saying in our culture. Yeah. That's where it's like, again, what's the metrics of success? peace if fulfillment if connection is where that comes from then we have to constantly be changing our default setting from being an accomplisher to one who seeks out what genuine life and meaning is about yeah and I
0: think we all have that within us and yeah, I think well, absolutely. I think we're all we all have what we what we need right now and right. we are who we need to be but at the same time, we do need to continue growing, mm-hmm. right? And and accomplishing things gives us that sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. So, how do you go about managing that balance?
1: Well, because for me, uh, I don't know if I manage it well, but the way I think about it is the other part of accomplishment is um, is is I think it's really important to understand how the, what we're accomplishing is a part of a story that's bigger than ourselves. We as human beings come alive when we're when we're not the center of everything. When actually we're a part of something bigger. So if you take like uh, you know, you you've lived here for a while. I've lived here for a while. You realize that, that football in Texas is a pretty big deal. Oh yeah. Um, and part of you wonders like why. Like, it, I I I grew up in Atlanta. I remember when the Atlanta Braves won the World Series in 1995. It's the only time that that happened. And I remember watching all the games and you just like freaked out afterwards when we went to this party and it was like great and everyone's like celebrating in the city and in the streets. It was amazing. And then you wake up the next day and you realize your life's exactly the same. It didn't change anything about me. My life was completely the same. The good was still there. The hard starts were still there. And yet we we lose ourselves and are these are these things that, because it makes us feel a connection. So football here and like how the Longhorn's doing, people whose identity is so wrapped up in this. It's like, it's not going to change your life, but it shows us that there's something. It's like, I find meaning in being a part of something bigger than me. So I attach it to all these different kinds of things. That when you pull back, it's like if UT wins the national championship next year, people will be excited in the moment. It's not going to change any of their lives. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, their lives will not be any better or any better or any worse off based on that. Um,
0: Right, and I think that's what you're talking about with happiness and joy. Right, because them winning probably you know gives you some happiness. Yeah, it gives you a
1: a moment of happiness, and it's great. I mean, again, I'm a huge sports fan, so I like my teams to do well. But in the end, it doesn't change my life. but it shows us wanting to connect to something bigger than ourselves. And part of what I love about my job, and, and I would love this for you and, and for anybody else, is to realize that um, how is what you accomplishing part of a bigger story that matters? Or is it just making a better bottom line for a company someday? Right? Yeah. And And there's fulfillment in that. And I love getting to accomplish something because I actually think that what we do here matters. I think it's important. I think it's significant work that we do. And so I want to give myself fully to that and do the best that I can do because it feels like that the work is significant, not just busy to show that we can do something. Um, and so that that would be, um, and I think, and, and this gets into how we're created. Like I think you and I think me, I think we're all created in certain ways. You, you've probably already gotten some, but you're going to get them like graduation cards coming up, right? And they're going to say things to you like, you know, Kobe, you can... You can do anything you set your mind to. Well, that's not true. That's a complete lie. Um, There's going to be tons of stuff you can't do. You're not wired for it. You don't find it interesting. Uh, You don't want to spend your time on it. You're not good at it, right? Um, I grew up a fan of Georgia Tech. My dad and granddad both went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta. I just assumed until I was about 14 I would go to college there because that's just where you went. Uh, Then I realized that you had to do math and science to get there. I am. I am not a math and science person at all. I don't like it. I don't want to be good at it. And my teachers reminded me all the time I wasn't good at it, right? And so the the question is not, can you do anything? Because the answer to that is no. All those cards are nonsense. And the sentiments behind them are good, but it's nonsense. The the thing that's really interesting is when you realize you were wired and created a certain way. And when you start, fulfillment starts becoming, and becoming part of a bigger story starts becoming, how are you wired What's the unique things about you that you love and want to pursue? Because it's like, this fulfills something in me that 99% of my classmates might find totally ridiculous, but something comes alive in me as I pursue this, as I walk down this path. Uh, I, I have tons of people who are like, why would you want to be a pastor? And I get it on purpose. Like you speak all the time, people criticize what you do or what you say, or how you should do it differently, or anything else. And then you stand up every week and do it again. Like, you you have critics and everything else, as most people do in life. There's something about it that I love. And I get why most people don't want to do it. Yeah,
0: but for you it works. But for me it it works.
1: It fits me into something bigger than myself. It wires me in how I'm made. And that's the accomplishment part for me. Are you part of something bigger, and do you believe in that bigger thing? Or is the bigger thing in the end only a really beautiful, well-positioned, well-put-together way of just accomplish more to feel important, and ultimately, that is a path towards a really miserable existence.
0: Yeah. So you, it sounds like you have found this some some form of stability and and fulfillment um, and content. And I think most of these um, podcast interviews are going to be the same. But do you have any advice that you would give to someone? who's still in that that transitional part or, or unstable, um, unsure part of their life yeah, things I, just it seems like things aren't getting better?
1: Number one is uh, what I believe and what I've found in my life is that as we walk through difficult seasons that shape us, as you and I have talked about, that the hardest things are not going to be the final things in life. That's really important. To remember and hold on to, the hardest things we go through are not going to be the last things, uh, and therefore something new emerges, as we've been talking about. That 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 as I look back at where I was, I wish I could have claimed that more, uh, and 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 found some peace in that. Um, I think the other thing I wish I had done more of earlier on, and just had confidence in it, is exploring different things, is is leaning towards my uniqueness. And going, uh, yeah, this is just how I am versus feeling like, well, I'm good at this and I'm not good at this, so I'm just going to try to do the things I'm good at to then have resumes and everything else that that posture myself in a way that make me look like the me I want people to see. And just going, yeah, it's weird. This is sort of where I am, and this is sort of what I find interesting. Um, um,
0: yeah, and one of my favorite quotes is, I think, basically said this but everything will be all right in the end and if it's not all right it's not the end
1: yeah yeah exactly that's yeah it's a great quote and so believing that holding on to that and therefore continuing to kind of forge ahead is important but also just kind of leaning towards the uniqueness of you you lean towards the uniqueness of 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 whoever hears us and go yeah it that might seem that might seem strange but am i not supposed to lean towards it because it's you know ultimately not a good thing or is it just going to seem strange or different to other people and for me it's that path of creativity and originality that is moving towards those things and even if i don't understand them in the moment kind of going well i'm going to move towards it and that usually if if you have the courage to do it when i have the courage to do it which isn't always um i usually don't regret it
0: yeah and it's hard it's hard to to always believe that um how do you define courage
1: I always want to combine courage with wisdom for me, because there's a fine line between being courage, courageous and being foolish. And uh, some people can couch foolishness and courage. And you, you can you can be courageously foolish, but I don't think that's very good. Um, so I always want to start with when I think about courage, which I think about a lot. We talk about uh, here at Covenant, we talk about encouraging one another in our vision statement to stand in courage. So I think it's a great word. Um, But you always want to have wisdom that goes first. What are the right things to be courageous about? Um, And so I always want to start with wisdom. What 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 are the things that are good? What are the things that are right to have the wisdom to see those things? And then I think the courage is standing firm in what you believe in, even when it's hard or scary, and even when you don't understand where it really takes you in a moment. We always want... You know, if I do this, we always love the movie where it's like the person takes the courageous stand and you see them see it work out for them at the end. Um, That's it's easy to celebrate that as a concept. It's harder in the moment when you don't see if it ends well to do it. And I think that courage for me, courage always involves fear because there's an unknown ending Um, and it's an uncertain ending. And so the courage to me is standing through wisdom in that place of what you believe and what you stand for, given the possibility the ending might not be good. That's what courage is. I
0: think the wisdom part is definitely important. And I think the courage may be recognizing once you know what is right um, or having the wisdom to know what you should be courageous for. Yeah. Um, admitting to yourself that yeah. because it may not be what you want to do.
1: That's right. Or admitting that the thing you were maybe courageous about you don't believe anymore and having the courage to name that and, and go in a different direction with your life, right? Um, and that's that takes a huge amount of courage too, to sit there and go, this is what I thought and I'm not certain it's really where I want to be going anymore and I want to switch directions and I don't quite know what that means. Um, and people who love you are going to be going, no, 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 go for what's stable, Right. Like, go for what's stable and um, to have the courage, because courage requires you, is required because we don't know the end of the, of our own stories a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, so you mentioned C.S. Lewis, um, and I'm a big fan of his as well, mm-hmm. but either some of his books or others, have there been a few or just one that have drastically impacted you and changed your life?
1: Uh, I read uh, probably too much. Um so it's hard for me to, to narrow that. There's a great book I've read that about a year ago, maybe even more, that really impacted me a lot. I think about it a lot uh, um, by, I think his name is Paul Kalanithi, and it's called When Breath Becomes Air. It's a book of someone who, uh, and many of the things we're talking about here, um, gets into, I believe it's Stanford Medical School, kind of high expectations of his family his parents, his dad was a doctor, his older brother a doctor, and he's married, but while he's got this great veneer, his marriage is falling apart. His wife, he met in medical school, and then he's diagnosed with terminal cancer. This is a true story. It's his, it's his autobiography, and it's the story of him reconciling some things in his life and some relationships and realizing where value comes um, as he who had everything is sort of coming to a close in, in his, I believe, his 20s or 30s. Um, when he passed away, it's a it's a really powerful, powerful book that, I don't know, I, this is probably a terrible thing to admit. There's not many books that I read and six months later I'm thinking about still. Um, yeah. Even if I like them, it's, it's rare. It, 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 I, and I'm aware of this as a pastor. I'm aware that most of the time, three weeks after I preach a sermon, very few people can remember any of the details about it. And that's not actually the point. The point is like, what did they connect with in and where did it take them? And so it's not a, the point of can they give me the information back. It's did they start living and applying it. So it's not. But that book, When Breath Becomes Air, which I probably read, I don't know, 18 months ago, maybe two years ago, I think about all the time. But it gets at a lot of these values that we're talking about here. Who are we at our core? What makes life important? Um, and it wasn't that the accomplishments he was doing were meaningless. But he started finding a much bigger story he was a part of. Um, it's a really beautiful book. Wow.
0: All right. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah. So I think we're almost out of time, but to wrap it up, if there are three things you could say to your 20 year old self and for those listening, what would they be?
1: Um, I think number one would be again, that the, the hard things we walk through won't be the final things. And um,
0: yeah, I like that.
1: That would be, that would be one. Um, and in many ways, it's w- what I said before. It, it's, it's to, it's to, to be okay with the uniqueness of you and to lean towards this idea that you are wired in particular ways with particular gifts because what I believe is we each have a particular purpose and to always lean towards the originality and uniqueness whether people celebrate it because it's like oh hold on to him he's more he's valuable but even when it takes you and, and, and even when people are saying that going no I'm going to keep going this direction because I think it's right whether people say it's valuable or not because it's part of the uniqueness of you. But sometimes that uniqueness will take you in ways where those voices will disappear very quickly. And to just not worry about those voices of what people say is important, where value is found. Because we live in a culture of pundits and critics. Everyone is a critic. Um, but to just lean towards the originality of how you're wired and made, how every person is wired and made, and realize that that originality is going to be the spark of what's really good about life, but yeah. it takes an amazing amount of courage to hear that. We all like love those slogans. We put those quotes on walls and stuff. Um, yeah, you know,
0: accepting yourself. Yeah, yeah, all that.
1: But it's the living it we don't do. Yeah, we love the theory and the idea, but it's the courage, maybe, and the conviction to follow it.
0: Right, and it may be a cliche, but I think it's a cliche for a reason.
1: Yeah. Right. I think it's a cliche for a reason, and I think the reason people keep holding on to it is because we, we again, we talk about it, but we don't do it. Yeah. We love the idea, and we love the stories about someone else doing it, but we don't do it very well ourselves. And so, to actually have the courage to move, um, I wish I wish I could go back to my twenty year old self, and but I need to say it to my forty four year old self still today. Right. Of keep doing that because it's never something we, – I haven't found anyone that's perfected that yet.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Thomas. I enjoyed talking. And for all those listening, I look forward to the next episode.
1: Thank you. This has been great.